This is CouncilCast, part of the Legal Talk Network, and I'm your host, Karen Conroy. When you face a complex case outside your expertise, you bring in a co-counsel for next-level results. When you want to engage, expand, and elevate your firm, you bring in a marketing co-counsel. In this podcast, I bring in marketing experts who each answer one big question to help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. Hi, I'm Brooke Lively. I am the owner of Cathedral Capital, which is a group of CFOs, accountants, bookkeepers, and profitability strategists that make law firms more money. Hi, Brooke. I'm so glad that you're here today, and thank you so much for your time. This is going to be a great conversation. I have a very fun part of my brain that loves this kind of um, getting into the the nitty-gritty of ROI and the finance and the how we figure out all of these finer details of running a business and, and or law firm. So, so thanks for being here. I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I'm excited. We're going to talk about numbers. I know. I love I love numbers. I love charts. I love looking at kind of like where we're at in the path and <laughs> where things are going. And we've totally found that with our clients that we don't look at their P&Ls very often anymore. Like, we put up graphs and people are like, that I get. Yes. Yes. We're going to visualize the data for you. Oh my gosh. Okay, that could be a whole other show. I love the idea of this data design and information design and how you take all that information and then do something with it because numbers are just numbers. I mean, they, they don't have any meaning behind them until you put them into something that you can translate some understanding of whether it's a graph or a chart or explaining what it means. They just need some context. Exactly. So our big question that we're going to kind of hover around and have uh, some conversations about is why do budgets suck? And this is something that you like to talk about, but we're also going to talk about how fast-growing firms become more profitable, but we're just going to kind of come back to this idea of why budgets suck. So, Brooke, why do budgets suck? (laughs) Look, here's the thing. We are all entrepreneurs. Yes. And as entrepreneurs, we are about the possibility, not the prohibition. And when somebody hands you a budget, naturally, you're like, well, (laughs) I can't spend money, and I can't do this. And you end up going, that effing budget, So, We believe in profit plans. Oh, I like that. Because don't you want to plan for profit? Yes. Okay, so what's the difference? Because just by saying that, I'm already imagining the difference between that. But explain explain the difference to me. That's the vast majority of the difference. (laughs) It changes the way you think about it. It changes your outlook. It changes how you feel when you talk about it. Yeah. Because here's the thing. We want the the firms we work with, we want the owners to be properly compensated for the time, the effort, and the risk they are taking on in owning this law firm. Yeah. So I want to make sure that you have profit, that you're taking money home, that you're getting that. And a lot of budgets, a lot of people when they do them, especially if you are talking to your accountant, for God's (laughs) sakes, don't ever let your tax accountant do a budget for you because they will get down to like zero. Negative. On that net income line, because that means you don't have to pay any taxes. But it also means you don't have any stinking money. Right. So Mike McCallowitz wrote a book Profit First. Profit First. Yes, yes. Yes. And he said, take your P&L, and instead of making it revenue minus expenses equals profit, 
it should be revenue minus profit equals expenses. Yes. So we really kind of think about things that way. Yeah. Are we getting the profit we need? Are we planning to have profit? Are we planning for the owner to be compensated? Yeah. Yeah. Profit first was a game changer for me, not just because of that concept, but also in creating a system. And I'm sure there's other books out there. I mean, I have an MBA, but finance was not my cup of tea. It was definitely aimed more towards marketing. But this was such a clear cut method to simply and easily have a way of glancing at your finances and knowing instantly where everything stands. And there's so much value in that and knowing, okay, I had this much income, but this piece goes over here, this piece goes over here, and I instantly can look and see, oh, okay, of that, this is what really counts for, you know, this, this is what's going to taxes, you know. So I love, I'm a big fan of Profit First. I know some people that do Profit First specifically for attorneys too. So there's some books and things out there if people haven't heard of that. But I know you have these three, the the rule of thirds. And the rule of thirds to me as a designer is a, is a whole other <laughs> kind of concept. The rule of thirds all over. Yeah like the world aren't yeah, there, there are and even as, as in photography there's like this cool grid and the rule of thirds and, and all that but where does rule of thirds come in in terms of finance and and kind of building your law firm or business so one of the things that we have discovered is to have a profitable firm to have a fast-growing firm because most of our clients really do want to grow yeah we need to allocate money so we have the rule of thirds one third of your revenue should go to your people yeah so to payroll, one third should go to overhead and one third should go to you as owner benefit. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's going to be that that's going to feel uncomfortable for some people where, you know, whatever they're not, whichever piece of those thirds they're not doing. Do you get kind of pushback when you're initially working with people where they're like, I really need a whole third to go to whichever one they're not doing? <laughs> well, you know, what's really interesting is when they come to us, usually their people are way more than a third. Okay. Their people are like 60, 70, 80% instead of 30, 35, 40. Their overhead is also really inflated, which means the owners aren't taking anything home. So when I say, no, 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 we're going to rework this so that you actually get paid. I gotta tell you, owners are pretty much on board with that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But the idea of that probably means getting rid of some of their people, right? It's not usually getting rid of people. It's looking at the way we're compensating them. Okay. Are you getting a good multiple? So if we want one third of our revenue to go to people, that means that our billable people have to be billing and collecting between three and five times what we're paying them. So, you know, there are three kinds of attorneys. There are the finders, the minders, and the grinders. The grinders, you know, those young attorneys that we really want to chain to a desk in a windowless room and say, no, you can't go pee all day. (laughs) Like, bill, baby, bill. So those people, we should be getting a 5X on. Yeah. But then as an attorney grows and they learn more and they take on more responsibilities that aren't necessarily billable, like teaching and training the grinders, they become minders and they take care of clients and they still bill. 
their billing rate goes up, their number of billable hours goes down, their multiple okay. goes down to a three and a half or a four. And then you've got the finders whose job is to go out, club potential <laughs> clients over the head, drag them back to the firm by the yeah. hair, deposit them in the lap of the minders. It's such a pretty picture that you're painting. <laughs> Isn't it? They have outrageously high billing rates, very low billable hour requirements. When they bill, they're such an expert that they can bill at a high rate. Yeah. So we're looking to get a three on them. Yeah. And people very often tell me, like, okay, so that's great. I can't just slash everybody's pay. Right. And you're right, you can't. Yeah. But you can redesign their comp plans so that you're really trying to get people to do what you want them to do. Yeah. So if they are a grinder, if you want them to bill, you may be able to give them a production goal, right? a production bonus, Yeah. cut their base salary, give them a production bonus so that if they're hitting their bonus, I mean, their billable goals, they're actually making more. There you go. And so now they're thinking of it in terms, more in terms of it being a business as well, which I think that, like you said, from the beginning, some of this mindset stuff, that is really step one for them to start thinking about it in terms of, in different terms than, than what they, you know, kind of initially go to in their brains. So what happens, for example, if you've got one of these finders who's, you know, gone through all these ranks and they've got to this, you know, top level. And I work with a lot of clients who are these finders and they decide to go out and start their own firm. So I assume we're still thinking in terms of the rule of thirds, right? But do they have to reconsider their own compensation when they're starting a firm? And, you know, they're at this certain hourly rate that they have raised themselves up through the ranks, but now they are starting a firm and they have to do everything, you know, all the pieces of that. What happens in terms of that rule of thirds for that kind of person? So they're going to get paid for the work that they're doing, right? They're also going to get compensation in other places. They get profit. They're probably running some expenses through the firm. That's fine. I'm good with that. As long as your CPA is good with it, I don't care what you run through the firm. Wife's manicures, go for it. But any owner at any time may make a decision to give on those thirds consciously for a set period of time to achieve a particular goal. Okay. So there should be a plan behind it. And so for this time period, I'm going to go down to, let's say, you know, 28 or 30 percent instead of 33 because I'm, you know, I'm recruiting some new grinder and I want to throw some funds into that idea and kind of grow the firm and in that way. You know, people tell me all the time, you have to pay market rates for an attorney. And I'm telling you, you need to design a compensation plan that is right yeah. and customized for your firm. So when you get that grinder in, there are yeah. all kinds of levers we can pull to get them to a good multiple. We talked about bonusing them on the activities that you want them to perform. You can also raise their rates. You can raise their billable hour goal. There are things that you can do to kind of smush this here and and tease that out there and get the multiple you're looking for. Your grinders should be profitable immediately. Is the smushing, uh, is that an official financial term when you smush things? Yes, it, in, it is okay. very official. <laughs> okay. Smushing. I didn't, I had, that wasn't one I had learned, but maybe that's a more, you know, you I haven't read all the ad, books. all the advanced finance yeah, classes that exactly. I did. I didn't take the smushing one. <laughs> yeah. You should yeah, have taken you're, you're smushing. You're way at a whole other level. <laughs> 
<laughs> Look, that's part of our deal. We use real words. Yeah, I, I appreciate that so much. And I think most clients do. Like when you can really relate and it's not this this kind of layer of extra, it seems like just a layer of extra BS, like you're trying to boost your own ego just to, as a part of the conversation. Right. It's unnecessary. We're not going to tell you that a grinder should be accretive. Because yeah. WTF, we're going to tell <laughs> you that your grinder should make you money right off the bat. And that's what's important. We want to talk in the language that you use. Yeah. It's just so much easier. Right. And it just, it really just kind of builds those bridges instead of kind of putting up these walls where people are like, you're what? <laughs> well, so I had a client one time, this is totally off topic, but I got to tell you this. So I had a yeah. client one time and we had prepped him to the bank with a great loan package. He goes in, he talks to the bank, he comes back and he is undone. Oh my gosh, I'm never going to get this loan. My whole firm's going to collapse. I mean, like just craziness. And I'm like freaking out. Take a deep breath. Tell me what happened. And he's like, they want my pro formas. I'm never going to get this loan. And I'm like, okay, take a deep breath. You know that profit plan we've been working on? He's like, yeah. I'm like, that. And there's like dead silence for a second. And then there's this whole new because he's like, why didn't they just say that? I'm like, they're bankers. <laughs> you know, they're not gonna, they're not going to just say that. And and yeah. that's like such a great example of not using common language. And yes. I, I was so glad that I was there in that moment because if I hadn't been, he never would have gone back to the bank. And, right. And he never would have gotten that loan. And it really did make such an enormous difference in his firm. Yes. Okay, so that's a perfect transition. So we started by talking about why budgets suck. And, you know, the alternate idea is this profit plan. So tell tell me what that is. I mean, you just described it as a pro forma. But, you know, as you said, we're not going to use those big words. And, you know, th- that I think a lot of people are thinking of what? So what is typically involved in a, in a profit plan? Okay, so a profit plan looks shockingly like the B word. <laughs> yeah. We just don't like to say that. So it's going to look like your P&L. It's going to show all the anticipated revenue, all the anticipated expenses, and all the anticipated profit or net income. And the way we do it is we go through, every firm has, my father called it the monthly nut. Like, what's your nut? And so we go through for our clients and we put all those recurring expenses in and we know how much the people cost. So we put all their salaries in and we you know, put that over the 12 months and we know that you pay your bar dues at the end of May, beginning of June. And we, you know, we put all that stuff in. And then we do the fun part of profit planning. Then we come back to you and we say, okay, now it's time to dream. Now it's time to talk about what you're going to do next year that's different from this year. What do you want to do? What new marketing? Are you going to hire people? Are you going to move offices? You know, what are those things that you're looking at? And then we layer those on top. And if you're talking about a new marketing plan, well, then that should create new clients and new revenue. So then we're going to go back and we're going to look at the revenue. And we keep kind of adjusting all the while keeping our eye on that, that bottom line number. Are we profitable? Are you going to be compensated for the time, effort, and risk you're putting into this firm? So because it's forward thinking and you're looking at it in terms of this idea of inspirational forward thinking instead of like you were describing budgets earlier as 
almost like a corset. You know, it's just this sort of restrictive idea. Then are you also looking at those ideas in terms of, I mean, I'm sure you're looking at them in terms of their ROI and how that would impact the overall profit. Yeah. Right? Or is that laid out inside that profit plan? So it's in there. So for example, marketing is a great place where we like to look at the ROI. Yeah. And we say, okay, we're going to do pay-per-click, PPC. For every dollar we spend on PPC, we better be getting, preferably, $10 back. And if we're not, there's a problem. So we evaluate it when we put it into the profit plan. But more importantly, we evaluate it throughout the year. Are we getting that? Oh, that's awesome. So there's kind of a two-step process. There's the initial work that you're, where you're imagining it and putting sort of gray boundaries around it. And then throughout the year, you're going back in and evaluating it to make sure it's on track. Yeah. Did we envision this correctly? What were the assumptions we made? Were the assumptions right or wrong? If they're right, why are they right? If they're wrong, why are they wrong? And do we need to make any adjustments going forward? Yeah, that's fascinating because we have a plan that we call the Marketing Co-Council where we do something Mm -hmm. similar in terms of marketing where we have found that I think it's so similar where people just take marketing ideas, throw them in, throw them up against the wall, see what's going to work, and then just kind of cross their fingers. And that's their whole strategy is like, oh, I'm just going to hope for the best (laughs) and and we'll see. So I've got to tell you two stories about clients. One was a client in Florida and the local TV station came calling and I don't know what their salesperson said must have been the best salesperson ever and convinced her to spend $10,000 a month and I said okay we're gonna spend $10,000 a month for three months and then according to them we should have some kind of return month one comes and goes nothing month two comes and goes nothing month three I think we have about $300 in revenue we're $30,000 in and we've had one paid consultation I'm like, okay, pulling the plug. And she's like, yeah. no, 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 no. Because that salesperson had been back to see her and kept talking Ugh. to her. I'm like, yes. kill it, kill it, kill it. She's like, no, 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 just one more month. Just one more month. So six months in, $60,000. Oh my gosh. $3,000 worth of revenue when she finally stopped. And so, you know, have parameters, have a plan. Yes. Have, we and call them the circuit numbers. breakers. Yes. Don't make this an emotional decision where you are, your decision is based on hope and you're kind of, like I said earlier, crossing your fingers and you have this just pie in the sky sort of Pollyanna idea of how it might work someday. It's like holding on to a bad relationship, you know, like it's really bad right now, but you know, someday they're going to turn around and it's going to be my perfect person. No, it's not. It's you already have the numbers. The market is telling you whether this is working or not. And you should not need that much time, especially six months in is a long enough time to know on any marketing strategy. And so that's what we do. We set a similar kind of plan as to what you're talking about with this profit plan. We, we talk about all this inspirational ideas of where we need to go, what we need to do with the firm. And then we, over a quarterly basis, have these meetings where we set goals, measure them, come back, see how it's doing, and adjust accordingly. I mean, there's always the adjust accordingly part because there's, depending on what you're doing, there's going to be parts that are working better than others. And so let's focus on that. Well, it's also like if we think about PPC, PPC is as much about exclusion as it is about inclusion. Yes. 
I so love that. If you're going through and you're looking, your PPC people should be sending you a report every month about what worked and yes. what didn't. And you should be yes. having that discussion of, okay, this worked, do more, this didn't. What are you going to do to tweak it and fix it? So you may not be at a 10X in month one. Of course. But of are course. we seeing consistent improvement? Are the numbers on the upward angle? And recognizing that conversation is critical. So we will oftentimes get people that say, I don't really know what I want. You're the expert, you tell me. Yes, I am, I'm the expert and I will tell you what I recommend. But while we are working through this, me understanding what works from your end, if we are giving you leads and that is coming through, and this type of lead has a higher preference for you than that type of lead, I need to know that. You need to give us that feedback that, yes, we are getting uh, some people that are looking for DUIs. We are looking for some, getting some people looking for divorce, but we really don't want to do the divorce. So let's like, you know, turn that the volume down on the divorce, turn the volume up on this. So that relationship mm -hmm. and that back and forth is critical. Well, and it kills me when people are like, this PPC company isn't working. I'm going to somebody else. I'm like, have you <laughs> talked to them in the past six months? Yes. Like you can't yes. just say not working. Yes. Because it is, it's a partnership. There is information is. that you have about your firm that no marketing company anywhere in the world will know unless you and tell them. And they shouldn't. I mean, we are not running your firm. We are not there on a daily basis answering the phone calls, doing the work. We, we should not know these things. We need you to understand that. And to be honest, when I take the calls and I'm talking to people and they say, oh, I'm working with so-and-so and it's not working, that's a red flag. So I mm -hmm. start to dig into that more to Why find isn't out. Why is it working? You know, there are firms out there that are not doing great work, but oftentimes there are also clients out there that are not being, you know, great clients. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this happening? Is it who's, who's ball is this court in? Who's Whose court, court is, is the ball in? <laughs> I was with you. I know. I was like, wait a minute. That didn't sound quite right. <laughs> okay. All right. So Brooke, tell me what you've been reading. Oh my gosh. I, I have this stack of books on my desk. So we're doing a lot of hiring right now. So I've been reading who was flipping through that this morning, furiously looking for a piece of information. I went to an event recently and Cy Wakeman was speaking. Yeah. I don't know if you know her. She wrote a book called no, no Ego. Oh my God, she's fascinating. So I'm working on that. I'm reading The EOS Life by Gino Wickman. Have you read that one yet? No, I have not. So it's his newest book. It's only been out for like, I don't know, probably two months. Um, and it's a quick read, like what is it? most of Gino's what is stuff. It? It's yeah. really about how to, so we are an EOS company, we run Traction, and yeah. it's really how to take that and expand it into your personal life. Oh, how cool. Yeah. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. And then- And you said it's a nice quick read? It's a nice quick read, yeah. Nice, it, okay. Now you have to do the work that comes with it, but yeah. And then the <laughs> other thing I'm reading is, I don't know, some legal thriller bestseller because I go to lunch every day yeah. and read a book. Like, yeah, that's yeah, my deal. Yeah. That's the other thing that I don't talk about is I, I do a big balance between fiction and nonfiction. And most of the books that I talk to, uh, I think all of the books that I've talked to guests about are all the nonfiction, but uh, a huge part of my brain just needs the fiction piece of it just to have just that, that kind escape. of escape and, and hear the stories and get, you know, get that human side of life <laughs> involved as well. I love, so I love to travel. I, there is yeah. nowhere that I am more, you know, people talk about having a gratitude practice. 
I am more grateful on an airplane than anywhere else in my life. Me too. I, I love, love it. that. Yeah. And Just so sitting with a good book. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Like I get on a plane. I yep. do not hook into the internet. I do not do any yep. work. That is my time. Yep. Whether it's an hour yes. and a half or seven and a half hours, like yep. my time. And I get to buy a book. Yes. And, and so, it's like zen. You're like yes. in this little pocket where you are you can't go anywhere. There's all these restrictions. Like you, you really don't want to even get up to go to the bathroom because it's yeah. kind of gross. And you, <laughs> you can't do anything. Gonna... It's not like you should be doing laundry or picking up or cooking exactly. dinner or cleaning out the fridge or changing the yep. light bulbs. Like I need to change the two light bulbs in my kitchen right now. Like, exactly. There's nothing you, you should be doing. You are locked in. Yes. It yes. is awesome. Yeah. So yeah, yes. I, I get... Um, my mother used to divide books into good books and trash books. And trash yeah. books were anything on the bestseller list. That's pretty, uh, <laughs> there's some great books on the bestseller list. She I mean, was, not everyone, but. <laughs> this is when I was in like middle school and, and she wanted yeah. me to read the classics. Like literature. Literature, yeah. yeah. So I would have yes. to read, and I can't remember what, there was some kind of, you had to read two pieces of literature for every one trash book. But so I still get that little thrill when I buy the bestseller books. Um, yes, Because it's a too. trash book. And I just, but I, think there's, I love it. Yeah, you need the balance. So for me, I'll do, uh, I love I love good literature with all of the hoity-toityness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love all the ones that are, you know, win the awards and all of that. But I can't do one after another after another of that. I need to balance it out. So I'll do like a literature and then a business book and then maybe something that you're calling trash. But I still think some of those bestsellers are, you know, they're not they're all fabulous. Great, but, you know, but they're just like a brain hanger is what my dad used to call those. Like just, you know, sort of like watching sort of trash TV. And it's just kind of, it's just sort of a loose, easy thing for your brain to just kind of stick to. So, yeah, I think there's important to have that balance in there. Because if all you do is the really kind of fancy literature, it's it's a little exhausting. Well, (laughs) I have to say, I've taken the literature out. I pretty much abandoned literature. And I have replaced (laughs) that with business books. Yes, yeah. So the things I should be reading and the really fun stuff. Like, I had a friend that her mother called it popcorn for the brain. Yeah, I mean, all of those things. You really just, and it, but it is still so good for your brain to be doing all this good stuff. Getting all the reading going and, you yeah. know, awesome. Well, Brooke Lively is the founder of Cathedral Capital, and it has been such a pleasure to talk through all this numbers stuff. And I love this idea of the profit plan and planning it out and looking at it in that kind of positive twist of a way instead of the B word for budgeting and all of that. I, I think that's just fascinating, and I, I love that approach. So thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Karen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the CouncilCast podcast. Be sure to visit our website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on the episode and to give us your feedback. If you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.